We have a cracker of a show for you tonight, gals and gents. Wash your black heads, sniff some borax, and enjoy this episode of suspense entitled The Night Reveals. Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. Salute, your health, senor. The world toasts Roma, and Roma toasts the world. The wine for your table is Roma. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the man in black here for Roma Wines to introduce this weekly half-hour of Suspense. Tonight in Hollywood, our stars are Mr. Robert Young and Margot. The suspense play which stars Robert Young and Margot, and which is produced and directed by William Spear, is a tale of ordeal by fire by Cornell Woolrich. And so, with the night reveals and with the performances of Robert Young and Margot, Roma again hopes to keep you in Suspense. us the story, Mr. Jordan. Might help to get it out of your system. Yes. Go ahead, Harry. What? Tell it here, Marie, in front of you? Sure, I can stand it if you can. Well, all right. I'll tell it from when I first began to know, for sure, two weeks ago. I should have known before that something was wrong. I should have known by her eyes. There was a queer look in them, staring at me one minute and avoiding me the next. Well, I came home late one Monday night. They were asleep, my son Johnny and my wife here, Marie. I lay in bed reviewing my day's work. You see, I'm an investigator for the Herkimer Fire Insurance Company. While thinking about the fire on 2nd Avenue, I fell asleep. Suddenly, I was sitting bolt upright, wide awake, with a strange feeling of being alone in the room. I looked towards Marie's bed. It's too dark to see. I called... Marie. Marie. There was no answer. I got up and walked to her bed. The quilt was bunched up. I pulled the covers down. The bed was empty. In the bathroom. No, she wasn't there. And not in Johnny's room either. Johnny was alone. Marie wasn't in the apartment. I put on the light and looked at my watch. It was two in the morning. Got dressed and walked out and and rang for the elevator. It was nothing. Of course, it was nothing important, but... My heart kept hammering away. Morning, Mr. Jordan. Kind of late for the... Yes, good morning, Steve. Uh, did you see my wife go down? Yes, Mr. Jordan. About half an hour ago, I'd say. Yes, yes, of course. Uh, did you see which way she went? Yes, she went towards 3rd Avenue. Said she was going to... Went to the drugstore, I guess. Yes, that's right. There's one over on 96th Street. Open all night. Thanks. That was it. She went to the drugstore. I was worried over nothing at all. I didn't know what to do quite. I didn't want to follow her, but the elevator boy was watching me, so I strolled easily along towards 3rd Avenue. I stood on the deserted dark corner and looked up and down the street. 
Then I saw her coming. She was walking towards me briskly. Harry, what are you doing here? Well, I got up and saw you were gone, and I... I couldn't sleep. I, I had a dreadful headache, so I decided to go down for some aspirin. Yes. Yes, of course, the drugstore on 96th Street. But you were coming from 98th Street. I took a little walk. I thought some fresh air would do me some good. Yes, it is a nice night. I've only been gone about ten minutes. Steve says you were gone about a half hour. It was only ten minutes. What time is it now? 2.35. I've been out for almost 15 minutes. Oh, it's more than... It was 15 minutes, no more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Everything seemed all right. Still, I felt something was wrong. We got into our apartment and we both went to bed. For a minute or so, we said nothing. You've been working hard, Harry. Don't you think you ought to take a week off and sort of rest up? Oh, I feel perfectly all right, dear. There's nothing wrong with me. Listen. A fire. A fire. Yes, not far. Over east a couple of blocks. By the river, I'd say. That's my district. A fire. Oh, what the... Hello. Hello, Harry. I'm sorry to wake you in the middle of the night. There's a bad one over near you between second and third. Maybe a total loss. Between second and third, Mr. Parmenter? Uh, an apartment building? Yeah, 98th Street. 340 East 98. I called you because I'd like you to go there direct first thing in the morning instead of come at the office, okay? I'll meet you there. Okay, Mr. Parmenter. Good night. A fire on 98th Street? Yeah. I couldn't see Marie in the dark. I knew she was staring at me. I was very tired. Good night, Marie. Good night, Harry. This is a story of a husband and a wife. In a moment as the story continues, we shall learn how they came to know that death was living with them. Tonight, the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California, brings you Robert Young and Margot as stars of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Somewhere tonight, perhaps in Havana, Cuba, a man and a girl sit at a table in a gay cafe. Music, laughter fill the big room. A tropic breeze stirs the palms in the terrace. As we watch, the young man pours wine into their glasses. They raise them in a toast to each other. Salud. Salud. Ah, an excellent wine, verdad? As pleasant to the taste as your beauty is to the eye. <laughs> Do you know where this fine wine comes from? It comes from our good neighbor to the north, Los Estados Unidos, from America. His name is Roma. Yes, Roma. from our own America, from our own sunny California come Roma wines. Made in California for the enjoyment of the world. Doesn't that tell you all you need to know to make you want to choose Roma wines for your own use? Whether your particular preference is for a nut-brown sherry, a delicious red claret, a full-bodied burgundy, when you choose Roma, you know you're getting the world's best wine value. For Roma wines are America's largest selling wines. Only through such tremendous popularity can Roma afford to sell so reasonably wines into which have gone all the care and wine knowledge that produce wine masterpieces. There is a Roma wine for every taste. Simply choose the one you like best. Roma Wine, 
Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. And now it is with pleasure that we bring back to our soundstage Mr. Robert Young as Harry Jordan and Margot as Marie, his wife, in The Night Reveals, a story well calculated to keep you in suspense. Go on, Mr. Jordan. Well, gentlemen, the next morning I went over to 98th Street to inspect the remains of number 340 and to see if there was evidence of anything uh, suspicious about the origin of the fire. Mr. Parmenter was there. Well, there it is, gutted. I guess we'll be paying off on this one, all right. Yeah, completely burned out. Uh, anyone hurt? Well, a few, but no one dead. Lucky they just installed the new fire escapes. Just the walls left. Hmm. That fire must have been quite a sight in the height of its glory. Yeah, quite a sight. Man, those walls look pretty bad. They might collapse almost any time. Yeah, the building will have to be raised. That fire did a good job. Oh, here's the commissioner. Hello, Commodore. Jordan. How are you, Mr. Morrell? You know anything about the fire commissioner? No, not a thing. Well, we'll take a look. I wouldn't go in there, Jordan. Those walls are pretty oh, bad. I can take care of myself. Maybe you better not go inside, Harry. Don't worry about me. I know fires as well as anyone. You stay outside, Mr. Parmenter. I'm going in. I walked gingerly into the blackened, ruined hallway in ashes up to my ankles until I reached the remains of the stairway. Underneath were several baby carriages, just twisted pieces of metal. A burned fragment of something fell nearby. Come on back, John. I'm all right. I poked around the carriages, sifting through the clean, fine ashes. Something caught my eye. A glob of yellow metal. I picked it up, and I worked my way out. Burned through, isn't she? Yep. Clean through. Nothing left of her. Did you find anything, Harry? Nothing much. The fire started in the hallway, all right. Cellar's untouched. Fire works its way up. Uh, what's that in your hand? Well, that is just a piece of metal I found. Here. I just picked it up for my kid. He likes shiny things. What do you think, Commissioner? Uh, probably one of those gadgets they have on baby carriages. No, I guess you're right. It isn't anything. But it was something. I had run my fingernail across this glob of metal. It looked like gold. I decided to examine it in detail at home. Hello, Daddy. Hiya, Johnny. Mama says I was bad today. Harry, you're home early. Yes, I got through sooner than I expected, and I... What is it, Harry? Your locket. You're not wearing it. You never had it off before. My locket? Well, I... Don't you remember? Daddy, can I go over to see Davy Taylor for a minute? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Johnny. All right. Gee, thanks, Daddy. You shouldn't have done that. I didn't want him to go. He hasn't had his dinner. Never mind, Johnny. Uh, what did you say happened to the locket? Well, I gave it to you. To me? Yes, I, I put it in your pocket to have it fixed. The catch was loose. I don't remember. You've been very forgetful lately. Very forgetful. Maybe you thought you gave it to me. No, no, I, I put it in your pocket, Harry. I forgot to mention it to you. I... Wanted you to take it to the jeweler's and get the catch fixed. I just put it in your coat pocket while you were shaving. When? Yesterday. Yes. Yesterday morning. Then it should be in my pocket now. I wore this suit yesterday, too. Nothing in my pockets, Marie. Well? Marie. Yes, Harry? Is anything uh, wrong with you? Don't you feel... With me? No, no, of course not. I'm all right. 
I'm perfectly all right. There's not a thing wrong with me. You look worried, as if you've got something on your mind. Oh, it's nothing. I've just been having a headache. Maybe you ought to see a doctor. Oh, no, it really doesn't amount to much. Well, I think I'll take another look for the locket. Uh, Which suit did you say you put it in? Your blue suit, I think. Or maybe it was the gray, though. I I don't quite... I couldn't make it out. What had she done with the locket? Had she pawned it? Had she given it away? Then I remembered something. I went into the bathroom and locked the door. I looked at this shapeless little glob of yellow metal. I rubbed the blackened spots away, all of it until it was gleaming. I studied it, turning it over and over. I noticed a thin crack. It was small, so I took a nail file out of the medicine chest and began to file it. I kept filing until I had enlarged the crack to the full length of a piece of gold. Then I slipped the nail file inside and pried, pried it open. Tiny fragments of glass, and then... And I saw a piece of scorched paper. It was a photograph. Picture of my son, Johnny. This glob of metal was my wife's locket. I put the locket in the picture in my pocket and walked out. For the next hour, I sat trying to read a book while Marie busied herself, first feeding Johnny and then helping him with his homework. What's the largest continent in the world? Oh, I know. It's, uh, it's Asia. And the next largest? Oh, that's easy. Africa. It's full of jungles. That's where Tarzan lives. Isn't it time for Johnny to be in bed? Oh, yes. I I had no idea it was so late. Run along to your room, Johnny. I'll be in in a minute. All right, Mother. Good night, Dad. Good night, Johnny. Sleep well. He's getting along very well in school, except for arithmetic. He seems to be having a little trouble. Oh, Johnny will be all right. Yes. Johnny will be all right. I know he'll be all right. I watched her. She seemed very uneasy. I walked over to my pipe rack where I kept several books of matches in a jar. There weren't any there. All this time I knew she was watching me, watching me closely. I looked behind the rack. There wasn't a match around. What the devil happened to all my matches? I I have a match here. Let me light it for you. Did you take the matches out of the jar, Marie? Well, I, uh... Did you? Yes, I, I, I needed them in the kitchen. Shall I, shall I light your pipe for you? No, I'll, I'll light it myself. I picked a match out of the booklet. It was a clean white match with a green head. I struck it against the side. The match sputtered up into a yellow flame, fringed on the bottom with blue. Marie stared at it until I felt the sharp bite of the flame on my thumb. Would, would you like a cup of tea, Harry? No, dear, I don't think so. I watched her. Her hand casually brushed along the table and picked up the matches. Marie! Oh, oh. Leave the matches on the table. I need them. I'm rather short of matches, and the pilot light isn't working. Is this the only book of matches in the house? I'll have to get some tomorrow. Where are you going, Harry? Get a drink of water. No, no. I'll I'll get it for you, Harry. Never mind, Marie. I'll get it myself. I went into the kitchen. There was a paper bag alongside the gas range. Matches. All thrown in, helter-skelter. Books of matches and safety matches, all mixed together. I walked back and sat down in my chair... She sat a few feet away, torturing a handkerchief. She looked so helpless and terrified that my anger passed away. Marie, you've been having headaches lately. Perhaps you ought to see a doctor. You haven't been looking too well. I'm just tired. It's nothing serious. Look, um, how would you like to go away for a few days? Take a vacation. 
I'll get a maid to take care of Johnny and me. It'll do you a lot of good. No, no, I don't need a vacation. There's nothing wrong with me, but, Harry, there is... Yes? Uh, there's nothing the matter with... You were about to say something else. I... I've got to go into Johnny's room and see that he's covered. He always throws the covers off. I sat there looking at the door. Then I glanced about the room. There was the pack of matches lying open on the table. I closed the cover and my eye caught her purse lying nearby. It was bulging. Harry! Well, what's the matter? My, my purse! Yes. Yes, your purse. Here, look. See, the handle's loose. And it's full of matches. A dozen books of them. And these newspaper clippings. Give it back to me. Why are you saving these clippings? Why do you carry matches with you? I bought the matches in a store. They were a dozen for five cents. These clippings. Look here. Fire on 112th Street causes severe damage. And these others. Why are you saving these clippings, Marie? But there's nothing wrong in that. I, I'm interested. Interested in your work. I, I intend to keep a file on fires. It'll help you in your work. Well, that's very considerate, Marie. Oh, Harry. You're so good. Why should this have to happen to us? Towards midnight, I went to bed. Marie didn't follow me. I lay in the semi-darkness, wide awake, trying to think what I should do. I couldn't collect my thoughts. Every time I closed my eyes, I could see the flame of the match, yellow and blue, crawling along the matchstick. Then Marie came in with a cup of steaming liquid. Drink this, Harry. It'll help you sleep. Oh, what is it? It's cocoa. It's very good for you. I'm not the one that's having trouble falling asleep. We both couldn't sleep last night. I'm taking some of this myself as soon as I go to bed. All right, leave it on the nightstand. Be sure to drink it while it's hot. Yes, Marie, I will. Good night, darling. Good night, Marie. Coco. Then suddenly I knew. I looked around quickly for something to pour it in. There was a radiator pan. It was empty. I poured the cup of liquid into it. Then I lay back and waited. Waited for her next move. About a half hour later, I heard the door open softly and Marie tiptoed towards my bed. Harry. Harry. Are you asleep? I didn't answer, but breathed evenly. She hovered for a moment over me, then she tiptoed out, carefully closing the door behind her. I dashed out of bed and hurried into my clothes. Quickly, I poured the liquid from the pan into a bottle and put it into my pocket. Then I grabbed my coat and followed her. I rang for the elevator. She had only a few minutes headway. I would catch up to her easily and then... Then we'd have a showdown. Steve looked at me with controlled amazement. Uh, hello, Steve. Hello, Mr. Jordan. Uh, my wife went down a moment ago, didn't she? Yes, Mr. Jordan. Just took her down. She went towards 3rd Avenue, didn't she? Uh, I think so. She sort of stopped me for a minute and then turned towards 3rd. Had to get back to the elevator because you were ringing. When I reached the corner, I looked up and down 3rd Avenue, and I saw her. She was walking north. I crossed to the other side of the street and followed her, keeping at a distance. At 98th Street, she turned east. Down the middle of the block was the remains of last night's fire. She paused in front of the gutted building for a long time, just stood there, looking at it. Then she walked inside. I waited for a few seconds and then followed her. It was pitch dark in the burnt-out hallway. Ahead of me, I could see the glow of a match. Then I saw what she was doing. She was collecting the charred debris near the baby carriages. How foolish. There wasn't anything that could burn there now. She lit another match. I watched the flame light up her face. A face so intent upon her work that she didn't hear me approach. 
Marie! Who's there? It's me, Harry. Harry, why did you... Come along, Marie. We'd better get out of here. The police. I took her hand, and without a word, she came along. We walked home in complete silence. We both knew. When we came to our apartment house, I stopped and rang for the elevator. In the light of the hallway, I could see her face. My wife's face. Ashy gray. Her eyes bright and painful. Uh, you run upstairs, Marie. I'll be along in a minute. Harry, where, where are you going? I'll be right back. Please, Harry, don't, don't do anything. You run along, Marie. You're not going to... No, I'm only going to the drugstore to get something. I'll be back in a few minutes. I came home a half hour later. She was waiting for me. Did you... Did you do it, Harry? Harry, please, please tell me. I've got to know. I had the cocoa you gave me analyzed. I'm sorry. I, I had to do it. Don't you see? I couldn't help it. It was very easy for the druggist, especially when I told him what I thought was in it. Sodium amatol. That's the stuff that makes you sleep through an earthquake. Please try to understand, Harry. You must understand. Is the kid asleep? Yes, Johnny's all right. I was sorry for Marie. She looked so haggard and worn. It wasn't her fault. I'm sorry for myself. My head was roaring. I wasn't feeling too well. Kept seeing sparks in front of my eyes. I closed my eyes for a moment. Let's go to bed, Harry. Marie, we can do something. Let's, let's burn up every match. Every match in the house. We'll never bring another match in here. No, no, Harry, we can't do that. You don't want to? No, Harry, not now. See, this is the first book. It's turning black. We'll do it with every book of matches. It's no use. It's no use, Harry. Strange, isn't it, that this should happen to me? Me, a fire inspector. That's funny. Give me the matches, Marie. All the matches. No, I can't do it. I won't. Give them to me. Please, please, please don't take them. I'll do anything you want, anything. Where did you hide them? Tell me, where are they? Inside the range, behind the paper bag. I dropped her hand and she sank to the floor in a huddle, weeping. <laughs> then I went into the kitchen and got all the matches. By now, my anger was cooling off. Look, Marie, look up. See, I'll light each book of matches one at a time until they're all gone up in smoke. Yellow flame licked its way down the matches. The cover caught fire and blackened. I watched her look at the flame with dazed eyes. Listen. Listen, Harry, do you hear? Just someone in the hall. Oh, it's more than someone. Something's happened. Something has happened. I'll take a look. Hey, Mr. Jordan, the house is on fire. The house, the house is on fire. Yes, Marie, wake up, Johnny. Johnny, Johnny. We'll have to hurry. The flames are coming up the stairs. There's an upward draft. <sighs> The house is on fire. We've got to get out, Johnny. Come on. It's too late to go down. We'll have to go up through the roof. Oh, I've hurt I've my leg. Come along, Johnny. Mother, wait for mother. She'll come along. No, no, I want to wait for mother. It's all right, Johnny. Go along with Daddy. I'll follow you. No, no, I won't go. I won't go without you, Mother. Hold on to my armory. Come on. Give me your hand, Johnny. Don't be scared. The fire won't hurt you. It won't hurt you at all. You're safe with me. We made our way upstairs, very slowly, because of Marie's sprained ankle. Finally, we got to the roof. There were some firemen on the next roof, about ten feet separated the two buildings. Don't get panicky! We'll get you off safely! How are we going to have to jump across, Daddy? Because Mother won't be able to jump her foot. It's all right, Johnny. Don't be scared. Uh, they're putting a board across the two roofs. We'll just walk across. All right, now. One at a time. Tie the rope around you and come across. Johnny, you go first. Don't be afraid. There, now the rope will hold you in case you slip. 
Father, you gotta go first. I'll go right after you, Johnny. You, you promise? Go ahead, Johnny. Another will follow you. Uh, don't turn around. Keep walking. All right. The kid's safe. Now, you lady, be careful. The board. Hey, the board slipped off. Hurry, one of you guys. Get another board. You pushed the board off, Harry. I saw you do it. No, no, I didn't, Marie. I didn't. All right, ladies. Just tie the rope around you. Don't be afraid. Don't look down. Ready? Okay, boys. She's all right. Now you, mister. That's right. Tie the rope around you. Okay. All set? Okay. On the ground, we stood there, the three of us, watching the fire. Sparks were shooting up through the hole where it had bitten through. Great flames shot out, stabbing at the sky. The top of the roof was burning now. Red flame crawled along, searching out the inflammable spots. A wooden pole caught fire and blazed up in a long, narrow, curving arc. The wind was helping it. All this time, Marie was shaking, shaking violently, not with cold. I pitied her. Then she threw up her hands and shrieked. Ah! Ah! Harry! No, no, darling, don't. I can't can't stand it. We can't go on this way. Police, police, come here. Don't do it, Marie. There's no need to. Not the police. You don't know what you're saying. What is it, lady? You'd better calm down now. uh... Officer, please. No, no, no no use, Harry. Officer, these awful fires, they're not accidental. There's a pyromaniac, a criminal. What? And I know who it is. You've got to arrest the person. Arrest. So there won't be any more. All right, lady. Now, what is this? Who is the pyromaniac? The criminal is my husband, Harry Jordan. This man here. Arrest him, officer. That's about all there is to the story, gentlemen. Then I was brought here. Must have sounded kind of, well, painful for you to hear it all over again, Marie. No. It was all right, Harry. I wonder, um... I got a cigarette. Could I... No, I'll light it for you, Harry. You don't have to worry. I won't try and keep the matches here. She's been awfully good to me, gentlemen. You'll take good care of her, won't you? She tried everything to help. She hid the matches so as to keep them from me. She even tried to give me sleeping pills so I wouldn't... It's all right, Harry. I'm sorry about the locket, dear. Must have fallen out of my coat when I was in that building at 98th Street. I... It's all right, Harry. You can buy me another one sometime. You... You can't blame anybody for liking fires. It's not their fault. Fires are beautiful to watch. So bright and clean. They burn up all the filth and dirt. And they're magnificent to watch. Especially the big ones. The way the flames roar and crackle, lighting up everything around you. The beautiful fire. The beautiful fire.
And so closes The Night Reveals, starring Mr. Robert Young and Margot. Tonight's tale of Suspense. I want you to know that the distinguished Roma California wines include the most enjoyable types for every possible occasion. Dry table wines, red and white, appetizer and dessert wines, and also champagne and sparkling burgundy. Nothing can add more downright pleasure to your meals or to your entertainment of friends, and no enjoyment could be more economical. For not only are they supremely delicious, Roma wines are America's largest selling wines, and they cost only a few cents a glass. The vast quantities regularly purchased and enjoyed by wine lovers, the advantageous locations of the great Roma wineries in the favored wine districts throughout California, these things permit truly modest prices that make Roma wines the world's outstanding wine values. Roma, R-O-M-A. Roma wines are true to type. Roma wines are faithful in flavor. Roma wines are sound of character. Roma wines are reasonable in cost. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is Robert Young. It's been a great pleasure for me to appear tonight on Suspense, one of my very favorite programs. And I know you'll want to be listening next Thursday when my friend and colleague at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, Mr. Charles Lawton, will be your star. Don't forget then, next Thursday, same time, for Charles Lawton in... Suspense. Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A. Made in California for enjoyment throughout the world. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. job back. Did you miss me much? Welcome back to Ricky Jin's Old Time Radio. Now enjoy this episode of You Bet Your Life entitled Secret Word, Door. Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is door. D-O-O-R. Really? You bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... It's a fine name for a grown man. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx! (laughs) Well, last week we dropped $3,500, so tonight we start fresh. With $1,000 for one of our couples. George Fenneman, who's, who, who gets face whack at it? Just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a bachelor and a spinster. And here they are, Mr. Maurice Hollenstein and Miss Irene Tom meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, kids, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. And if one of you says the secret word at any time, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. A uh, bachelor and a spinster, eh? Uh, Miss uh, Thom, Tom? Tom? How do you Tom? Tom. The H is silent, eh? That's right. Like in herring. Eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what kind of work do you do, uh, Miss Tom? I handle the uh, retirement records and special pension files for General Petroleum Corporation. And uh, Mr. Havenstein? That's right. That right? Uh, the name is Howenstein. H-A-U. Isn't there a cow that has that kind of a name? Close to it. 
Uh, what, what kind of work do you do, Mr. Hobbenstein? Well, uh, I am office manager for the Owens, Illinois Glass Company. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you married, Mr. Hobbenstein? Well, I think I'm pretty old now. I don't know. Look at Barkley. Look at Mayor O'Dwyer. <laughs> look at Hedy Lamar. <laughs> I tell you, you look at O'Dwyer and I'll look at Hedy Lamar. <laughs> How old are you, Maurice? Forty-four now. Well, that's a wonderful age for married, isn't it, uh, Irene? Oh, I think it is. <laughs> Just about right, huh? Mm-hmm. Just right, too, I'd say. Now, <laughs> Maurice, how tall are you? About five eight. And how tall? How uh, tall is your ideal man, uh, Irene? Oh, about five seven or five eight. <laughs> I bet if Maurice was a midget, your ideal man would be about three foot six. <laughs> Has uh, dodging women ever led you into uh, in, led you into any peculiar experience, Maurice? Well, only one that I can think of. Well, that's the one we want. <laughs> Let's have this yarn, Maurice. I don't know how fitting it is, but uh, here in Los Angeles, I took a young lady up to the apartment of a boyfriend of mine, and no one was home. Well, so, so far, you're okay. Huh? <laughs> I, I couldn't get in, but uh, I knew how to get in because he'd always lose his key, so we would push the garbage can aside and enter You had the from... garbage can in the living room? <laughs> When you were out in the hall, you could uh, enter through the garbage entrance to get in to unlock the front door. (laughs) Well, that's the wealthiest garbage you'll ever encounter. (laughs) You just said door, and that's our secret word tonight, so you just won $100 in cash. Compliments of the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. You remember what we were talking about when the bell rang? <laughs> After I'd gotten inside, I to go around to unlock the front door. I didn't know that the boyfriend had moved out about three, three weeks before. Well, whose garbage was it? <laughs> when I got inside, there was a man and his wife in bed. <laughs> I was pretty, pretty dumbfounded, and then I suddenly noticed he was uh, getting out of bed in no uncertain terms. And of course, the front... <laughs> What do, what do you mean, a no inciting time? I could see blood in his eye or something. He was after me. The front door was right handy there, but I didn't go out the front door. I went back out this garbage hole. Well, that's certainly a very romantic interlude in your life. Now, uh, as a confined bachelor, uh, Maurice, who cooks your meals and rinses the gravy out of your neckties? Uh-huh. Almost anyone that's around. Irene, are you a pretty good cook? Well, I think I am. What kind of a dish do you like to whip up? Any Anything in particular? Well, I like fried chicken, but then, of course, I do have a recipe that uh, I'm rather proud of that I like to serve to my friends called Rinkum Diddy. <laughs> Rinkum Diddy, did you mm-hmm. say? <laughs> Maurice, do you like Rinkum Diddy? <laughs> Well, 
You never heard of Rinkum, did he? <laughs> Maurice, you certainly led a sheltered and cloistered life. Huh? <laughs> Irene, you're not trying to poison Maurice. Are you? <laughs> what is Rinkum, did he? Well, it's it's really a uh, Welsh rabbit. <laughs> Maurice, you obviously need a good woman to look after you. If Irene proposed to you right now, what would your answer be? Would it be no? Yes. Well, you've changed your mind, eh, Irene? <laughs> Here he is, struggling but still alive, huh? Well, congratulations to you two. I know you'll be very happy. And remember, Maurice, the secret word tonight is Rinkum Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I must say, you make a charming and attractive couple, and apparently you have a great deal in common. Now, in just one minute, you're going to work together for a chance at $1,000. You bet your life. The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America have certain standards which they do their utmost to live up to. You might call this set of standards their creed. It means a lot to them and to you as a car owner. This creed states that every DeSoto Plymouth dealer wants to and intends to treat you fairly and squarely. Whether you come in for a new car, a used car, or just a simple repair job. It's the honest desire of everyone in the office and in the shop at your DeSoto Plymouth dealer's to serve you to the best of his or her ability. Isn't this the kind of attention you want? Well then, wherever you drive, visit the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Now let's see if an ex-bachelor and an ex-spinster will be the ones who get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question. Fenneman, bring them up to date on the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's going on out here. Here we go. Let's see how high you can build you $20. You select the cities and states as your category. Is that right? All of these cities are over 50,000 in population. Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to try? $10. $10? Okay. Now, in what state is the city of Providence? Rhode Island. Rhode Island is right. <laughs> And they're on their way with $30, Groucho. All right. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 are you going to try? Ten more. In what state is the city of Jacksonville? Florida. Florida is right. <laughs> they're climbing. They have $40 now. Now, here's your third question. How much of the 40 will you bet? $20. In what state is the city of Patterson? New Jersey. New Jersey is correct. <laughs> they're really on their way. They have $60. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the 60 will you bet? $30. $30. And what state is the city of Sioux City? Iowa. Iowa. Iowa is right. And they wind up with $90. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Stick around now. You may get a chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still door. I know that, George. Well, perhaps the next couple will say it, too. We have a butler, Groucho. And the housewife selected from the studio audience just before we went on the air. And here they are, Mrs. Irene Colt and Mr. Urbano Galandanis. Meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, folks, to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash instantly. It's a common word, something you see every day. A housewife and a, and a butler, huh? Mrs. Butler, you're the housewife? No, I'm Mrs. Colt. <laughs> what sort of work do you do? I'm just a homemaker. You do housewife. Nothing. 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 Nothing? What do you mean, nothing? <laughs> and uh, Mr. Uh, Gallandinus, is that right? That's right, sir. You must be the butler, huh? Uh, where are you from? Uh, from the Philippines, sir. The Philippines, huh? 
Well, what do you do as as a butler? Just just what do you do? Uh, well, uh, see that the house runs smoothly. In the house runs house. smoothly. You work in a trailer. <laughs> What was the best job you you had as a butler, Mr. Gallandinus? I worked for a millionaire. Oh, a millionaire? What was that name? Oh, I would rather not say. That would embarrass him. Well, could you give me that phone phone number? (laughs) No, they might be looking for a gardener. (laughs) I know I'm looking for a gardener. I stole my last bag of fertilizer. (laughs) Long distance, sir. Tell me about that house. How, how many rooms? Oh, there are 17 rooms in the house. 70 uh, rooms? 17. 17 rooms. Uh, and how many servants? Uh? Uh, 14 servants. 14 uh. servants. Uh. What, were their, what were their jobs? Uh? Oh, butler, second butler, chambermaid, upstairs maid, downstairs maid, cook, uh, chef cook, second cook. What does the second uh, cook do? Uh? Just uh, uh, succotash? He cooks all the food. Now, uh, Mr. Gallandine is in your, in your job with a big household. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Get up from bed, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I, I, let's say you're up now. I mean, what's the well, What's uh, the first thing you do? Huh? Uh, first thing to do is to see that the breakfast is served. Oh, uh, the, the maids carry the trays to the ladies. And I, the butler, carry the food. To the gentleman, to the boss. You got the so wrong so. job, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Can't you have a switch with the maids? Eh? Never, sir. Now, Irene, uh, can you have breakfast in bed if you want it? I could if I went out and cooked it and took it back to bed. <laughs> you wouldn't have to do that, Irene. At night, all you got to do is fill your hot water bag with coffee. Eh? <laughs> and in the morning, you can fry your eggs on the electric blanket. Uh, uh, what else do you do on your job, Urbano? Uh, do you help the master with his clothes? Well, uh, when he has no valet, sir, then uh, it, t- it takes care of that. Let's say this fellow's a pauper who can't afford a valet. <laughs> What about the lady of the house? Who helps her with her dressing? Oh, uh, upstairs maids. Uh. How do you know you were asking? <laughs> do you have an upstairs maid, I, Irene? Huh, I don't even have an upstairs. <laughs> I had an upstairs maid once, but she gave me a lot of trouble. She wouldn't stay upstairs. Right? <laughs> Well, Mr. Gallandinus, if taxes get any higher, my advice to you is to stop being a butler and become a tax collector. Now, are you going to work together as a team for a chance at $1,000? You run your 20 bucks into more than our other couples, and you'll get a crack at the DeSoto Plymouth big question. I can't tell you how much our first couple won, but George Fenneman is offstage to remind our listeners. The Bachelor and the Spinster won $90. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous women athletes as your category. All right. Now, you have $20. How much are you going to try? Ten dollars. With what sport do you associate Babe Dittrickson? Golf. Well, Golf is right. Yes. And they're on their way with thirty dollars. All right, remember you're going for a thousand dollars tonight. Now, how much of the thirty dollars will you try? Twenty. Twenty dollars. <laughs> what sport is Mildred Burke famous in? B U R K E. 
I'm sorry, it's wrestling. She's the world's champion wrestler. Mildred Burke. Mildred Burke. We had her on this program. She threw me twice in three minutes. <laughs> they now have ten dollars. Well, now you have ten dollars, and here's your third question. Uh, how much of the ten are you going to bet? Shoot the works. Shoot the works? Yeah. Uh, Five dollars. Five dollars. All right. <laughs> How much you gonna, how much you gonna bet, huh? You wanna compromise and make it eight? Okay. Eight dollars? Here's your third question. With what sport is Louise Bruff associated? B-R-O-U-G-H? Uh, tennis. Tennis is correct! <laughs> On the way again, I believe we have eighteen dollars. All right, oh, what a mathematical genius that Fenneman is, huh? You've got eighteen dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the eighteen are you gonna throw? Fifteen. How much? Okay, with what sport is Shirley Mae France associated? Swimming. Swimming. Swimming is correct. And they wind up with $33. You wind up with $33. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, in just a minute, our last couple will be out here, and then we'll all get the chance at the $1,000. Fenneman, who's leading? The Bachelor and the Spinster are leading with $90. And the secret word is still door. Perhaps the next couple will say it. We invited some tourist experts to the show tonight, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Josette Frontin from the French Consulate and Mr. Al Costler, who drives a sightseeing bus. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome for the DeSoto Plymouth dealers, and if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you see every day. Miss uh, Josette Frontin, is that right? Am I pronouncing your name correctly? Not very correctly. It is Frontin. Is Frontin? Yes. You're from the French Consulate? Yes, I am. Parlez-vous français? You speak French, eh? Yes, I speak French. Uh, bon appétit. Thank you. Merci beaucoup. You are welcome. I think this guy's a phony, eh? He hasn't said one word of French. Ah, Mademoiselle uh, O.D. Cologne? <laughs> that means I'll pay for the perfume later. <laughs> Let's see your knockoffs in French. Oh, bien sûr que je parle français. J'arrive juste de France. Et c'est juste un petit peu pour vous entendre. I knew you were French. Yeah. <laughs> I know lots of French phrases. Hill de France, that means I'm sick of my friends. <laughs> Chateau Briand, that means my hat's on fire. <laughs> Where are you from, Josette? Uh, I am from Dina in Brittany. You're from Dina? Yes. What time did you have that, huh? <laughs> Oh. I'm from hunger, if that anything like no. <laughs> That's not Where is Dina? It is in Brittany, by the sea seaside. Oh, geez. Yes. Well, who are you, Mr. Kozler? <laughs> I'm a sightseeing bus driver. Oh. You speak English? Yes, sir. <laughs> what, what dialect do you speak, uh, Al? I'll call you Al. Huh? I'm from Colorado, Grand Junction. Mm -hmm. You speak French? No, sir. Too bad. It would have been much easier if you spoke French, then we could all three of us converse in the, <laughs> in the language of diplomacy. I hope you don't mind if we speak English. Uh, 
Oh, I think it would be very much better. Oui, oui, patty for ground. Huh? <laughs> what do you work for, Mr. Coslin? The Tanner Gray Line Motor Tours. And what are, what are the Tanner Lines? Huh? Well, we operate over all of Southern California, Nevada, and Who do you uh, operate Arizona. Huh? Bus sightseeing buses. You sightseeing operate on sightseeing buses? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use, a hatchet? Or? <laughs> Now, uh, what questions do your touring passengers ask most frequently, Al? Please stop at the next filling station. <laughs> mostly, uh... uh I want to phone my sister. <laughs> what do they ask mostly, huh? Mostly to, uh, how they can get into a movie studio and see movie stars. What are some of the movie uh, stars' homes that you point out, Al? We pass, uh... Well, Loretta Young's home, and Joanne Crawford, Eddie Cantor, Jack Benny's, and, uh... Don't you go past my house? <laughs> we pass within about a half a block of you. Well, if I knew when you were coming, I could walk up and meet the bus, huh? Let's get, let's get back to you, Frenchie. Uh, tell her, uh, what do you do at the French consulate? Uh, are you an ambassador? No, I'm not an ambassador. I work with a French commercial attaché. Attaché? What is that? Is that when you stick somebody with a sword? <laughs> oh, no, that is touché. Touché. Yes. Is I two attachés one touché? <laughs> Say, I'm picking up quite a lot of the language. Here. <laughs> well, that what? Means, just what? Huh? That means attached. Attached. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, tell me, uh, Josette, are you attached to the attaché? Oh, no. The attaché is attached to the French consulate. Well, I hope they'll be very happy together. <laughs> well, uh, I, are you attached to anybody, uh, Josette? No, I'm single. Ooh, la la. <laughs> That's French bus driver. <laughs> I think you understand what I mean. Huh? Well, how is an attractive French pastry like you are still in the bakery? Huh? <laughs> Surely 50 million Frenchmen can't be wrong. Well, there are not so many French, French men in the United mm -hmm. States. Well, would you have to marry a Frenchman? Couldn't you marry one of the home guard? Huh? Well, I think I could be interested in some American man, especially if he had some of the Frenchman qualities. Well, <laughs> Mon chéri, what do you have in mind? Uh, yeah, so I would like him to be kind, thoughtful, gallant, courteous, debonair, and also what you call a good sport. Well, what I call a good sport may not be the same as what you call it. <laughs> How do you feel about American husbands, uh, Al? Well, I think they're kind and gentle and big-hearted, <laughs> handsome and well-heeled. <laughs> well, uh, Al, are you that kind of a husband? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Don't you know what kind of a husband you are? I'm not married. Touché, <laughs> Al. <laughs> That's French, meaning I make the jokes around here. 
do you find most interesting about the United States, Josette? Oh, I think that is the fact that every people, Germans, Spaniards, English, French, just seems to be happy to live together and just like if they were a big family. They are mm. all American. Well, you're very observant, uh, Josette. Perhaps someday the whole world will see it that way, too. Uh, as secretary for the commercial attaché, just what are your duties? Hmm. My job covers a lot of territory. <laughs> you mean your boss chases you around the office? <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean, Miss Contin? <laughs> I mean I have to answer the phones and the letters, sometimes some funny ones. And uh, also, I receive the people wishing to go for a trip over to France. Mm -hmm. Well, I, uh, I'd like to go to France, and uh, I'm planning on going there next summer. What kind of a trip would you suggest uh, for me? Well, uh, in uh, what are you specially interested? <laughs> other red-blooded American. <laughs> the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> well, I, I've learned a lot about France tonight and also about bus drivers. Now, let's see if you two will win the most money and get the chance at the $1,000 question. Beat our other two couples and that's all you have to do. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is slinking around offstage to remind our listeners. The Bachelor and the Spinster are still leading with $90. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected stars of current movies as your category. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you try? Better just take $5. $5. Who plays Samson and Samson and Delilah? No? That's a pretty easy question now. You should have guessed it. Well, it's Victor Mature. Now you have $15. Well, all right. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight, so that's the big prize. Now, how much of the 15 will you try? Make it 10, then. Mega Ten, all right. Who is the male star of Sands of Iwo Jima? Johnny Gar and John Wayne. John Wayne is right. Huh? Well, on the way now, they have $25. All right, now you got $25. Here's your third question. How much of the 25 will you try? Ten. Who plays the title role in Thelma Jordan? Take a guess. No. I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's Barbara Stanwyck. All right, now you have fifteen dollars. How much are you going to bet now? You better say fifteen. Yeah. You want to shoot the works? Yeah. Okay, fifteen. Who stars in the Western Montana? Earl Flynn. Earl Flynn is correct. And they wind up with thirty dollars, and that means the Bachelor and the Spinster get the chance at the Desoto Plymouth thousand dollar question. This year, the one thing all of us could count on as far as weather went was that it would be unpredictable. And of course, this is all the more reason to have our cars operating in tip-top shape. Many, many people have discovered this year that it pays to go to an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer, whether it's an emergency or a routine checkup. For there, you get expert, courteous service at the lowest possible cost. In fact, that's a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's everyday way of doing business. Now, they're able to accomplish this because they have highly skilled mechanics in their shop. And these experts work with special factory-designed and approved tools. 
from the records they keep on your car, they're able to tell you, for example, when your engine is ready for a tune-up or new lubrication. They'll tell you when your tires should be rotated to add thousands of miles to their life. For the best from your car, stop in where you get the best service at an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. And here is the bachelor and the spinster, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $1,000 question, Groucho. All right, here we go for $1,000. Ready? I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on one single answer between you. So think carefully, and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. Recently, in a big shakeup of personnel, a new chief of naval operations was appointed to succeed Admiral Denfield. Who is the present chief of naval operations? <laughs> What is the answer you two have decided upon? Take but a guess. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's Admiral Forrest Shaman. So that means the big question next week will be worth $1,500. Well, you lost the big money, but you won $90 in the quiz, plus $100 for saying the secret word. Congratulations and thanks to both of you. Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production. Transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life. Presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth $1,500. Before winding up tonight's proceedings, I'd like to thank the radio editors of the United States and Canada for voting our show the best quiz program on the air in the annual poll conducted for Fame magazine. Well, it's almost time for Bing Crosby, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Here's a tip from the National Safety Council. The golden rule applies in driving, too. Drive as you would have the other fellow drive. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. Stay tuned for the Sam Squatch Report.